Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to episode 35 of the Snyder Cut. I am your host, Jeff Snyder. It has been a long week for me, folks. It has just has been a tough one. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Got to find a new place in L.A. from Boston. Got to find a new apartment. Got to move my stuff into storage. It's been crazy. Uh, but I'm here. I'm, I made it. I'm putting on my best smile, and we're going to talk about all the fun stuff that happened in Hollywood land this week. Let's start at the top uh, with Henry Cavill. I mean, the news, I think it was last night, earth, earth-shaking, groundbreaking, uh, whatever quaking news that Henry Cavill will return as Superman, but it's not what you think. He's not, there's not going to be a Man of Steel 2. That's not in the immediate plans. He's not getting his own movie. It's not even going to be like the adventures of of Superman and Batman or anything. This is a cameo. And that comes from uh, my pal, Justin Kroll, friend of the show, who wrote on Twitter to clarify things. You know, it's a a splashy headline, Henry Cavill to uh, reprise role as Superman. But Kroll uh, says that Cavill's return is only a cameo and would likely have him appearing in a film where he has previous ties with the title character i.e. not Black Adam, not Wonder Woman, uh, the new Wonder Woman. Uh, it is most likely going to be Shazam 2 or Aquaman 2. And if I had to put money on it, it seems like Shazam 2, you know, not only would that be the best fit for Superman, but I think it would also benefit the most from having Superman in the movie. Like, you know, Shazam didn't have the same box office as Aquaman. Aquaman broke a billion dollars. Like, I don't really know why you'd have to cram... Superman in, Superman in there, uh, you know, when, when a character has proven that he can carry a movie himself uh, to, to, you know, a lot of profitability. Shazam, that was never, you know, the same scope or scale as some of these other uh, movies, these other DC movies, which is why I think it would be cool to see Superman in a Shazam movie. So sort of, you know, help elevate the, the profile a little bit. Um, you know, I, I like Henry Cavill as Superman. I, I thought he was very good. I, I am a fan of Man of Steel, except for the ending. I didn't love didn't love the ending of Man of Steel, but the first two two thirds of that movie I thought were were, were very good. Um, so I, it was funny when all the Snyder Cut uh, fans sort of came after me last week. Like I'm still a Zack Snyder fan, and, and I like the DC characters a lot more than the Marvel characters. They're just you're not going to get me to sit here and tell you that Justice League was a good movie or that I'm interested in watching more of it. Uh, no matter you know how different it is, and we're going to talk about uh, a little a little bit more of that uh, shortly. But yeah, Henry Cavill. I just I don't know that there's another like Superman that's just like hanging out there in the wind, like crying to be cast as Superman. Don't give me the David Corn sweat thing. I you know I, I could barely get through the first episode of of Hollywood, the Ryan Murphy show. I just don't think that that guy has what it takes to be Superman. Although then again, you know, if I was just judging Brandon Routh off of his non Superman stuff, I'd be like, how could you ever cast this guy as a Superman? He's, he's stiff, he's wooden, but he was, you know, he was a fine Superman too. I, I wonder how much, like how much is there really to that character? You know, like, I like, do you have to be some great 
thespian. Uh, I mean, I, I loved Christopher Reeve as Superman, but I don't think that Christopher Reeve, like the rest of his career, that he showed he was like, you know, one of Hollywood's top actors or anything. And, and maybe he was just pigeonholed, you know, because he was uh, the Man of Steel. And and to some extent, you know, I don't, I don't know if, the, if that's how Hollywood sees Henry Cavill. I mean, he's got this huge breakout show, The Witcher. I would love to see a Superman show. Like, if I was HBO Max and you're dedicating big budgets to to DC properties, like, I don't know. If you don't think Superman can do anything on the big screen, try another series. See, see if Henry Cavill would be down for that. But, uh, you know, I don't think that he would because he, he's got the commitment to The Witcher. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think it's just going to be... Like Kroll said, a, a small thing. It just it feels like the DC universe has moved on from Ben Affleck's Batman and Henry Cavill's Superman. I, I mean, there's yeah, there's still they've still got Momoa and, and Gal Gadot as, as Wonder Woman, and you know Ezra Miller as the Flash. So so it's like, listen, I, I don't know what the hell is going on at, at, over at DC. I'm not going to sit here and pretend uh, that, that I do know. I, I think a lot of stuff is in flux, and again. I think that the, the pandemic is going to change the movies that get greenlit. You know, it may not be the big movies, like those are the ones that you're going to see, but even like the budget levels on some of these things, I, I wonder if, if studios are going to be dropping hundreds of millions of dollars on these movies when, I don't know, to me, Joker kind of proved that you don't need to do that. You spend $55 million and get a, a really good script. People want to, like, we've seen these characters punch it. And, and beat people up before and, and save the world. Like, give me an interesting story that, that, that reveals more about their character, you know, which is, which is how I felt about Joker. Um, anyways, that's enough DC talk. I don't really care. Like, uh, although Zack Snyder did, you know, put out a couple of images from the Snyder cut. Uh, there was one of, of dark side. He looks uh, the exact same as Steppenwolf, right? Is who cares? Dark side Steppenwolf, I don't give a shit. These are not marquee villains in my mind at all. Um, I don't care. I, again, I will watch it, but you're not going to see me uh, writing up tons of articles for, for the site about it because, I don't know, I write about what I'm interested in. And I think it comes off phony uh, when I'm sitting there talking about Justice League and, you know, like it's something of, of great importance and significance. I, I will say, though, you know, the. Last week, uh, we'd heard reports that it was going to cost 20 or 30 million extra dollars. I, I saw recent quotes this week from, from uh, Bob Greenblatt or who, I don't know, whoever the hell is running things over there that said it's going to cost like way more than that, that the cut does not exist and that, and that it's going to cost way more than 20 or 30 million dollars. And, and so effectively, they're just saying, go make, a, go make a new movie. You know, you've got 20, 30 minutes of footage or whatever, go finish it. But that is obviously a lot more than 20 or 30 million dollars. So, you know, again, it goes back to last week's podcast. What is your definition of a cut? Is it just a little bit of, of, of footage uh, edited together? Or, or is it a finished film? Because I don't believe that there was, that Zack Snyder had a finished film, which is why Warner Brothers is giving him so much money to go and finish it. Um, okay, enough of that. Let's talk about the fun stuff. Scott Derrickson signed on to direct a Labyrinth sequel. There weren't much in the way of, of plot details with this one. Um, I, I'm a fan of Labyrinth. I remember really liking that as a kid. I haven't watched it in God knows how long. It started young Jennifer Connelly and, uh, and the late great David Bowie as the Goblin King. I remember hearing about this 
many, many years ago when I was a young reporter. And at the time, it was Alexander Skarsgård who was being eyed to play the Goblin King in a new Labyrinth movie. Uh, I think Scott Derrickson is a, is a good fit for this. Um, yeah, like this could be his Pan's Labyrinth or something. Like he has that darker, twisted sensibility, but he's, you know, there's also a clear imagination and creativity in his work. Um, yeah, he's, he's worked with uh, Jennifer Connelly before on the day the earth stood still. She's gonna, she's kind of going to be red hot coming off of Top Gun 2. And she's got, you know, the Snowpiercer series, obviously on TNT. So it's like, if I were you, I'd bring back Jennifer Connelly and then maybe her daughter or son or whoever gets lost in the labyrinth or, and maybe she has to go back and save them. I don't know if she'll be, you know, the, the main lead in this. I don't know how, if her character will even factor into things. I don't know what direction uh, Derrickson and, and Robert Cargill are going to take it, but listen, there there are worse things, I think. Like, Labyrinth, I know it's not a remake, but, like, it's not it's not an untouchable movie. Like, you are allowed to go back and play with that mythology, expand upon it, uh, particularly, you know, with the upgrades in, in technology and whatever. I don't know. It, it could be cool. I, I, again, TriStar, when you're, when you're looking through the vaults of, of, hey, what can we, what IP can we exploit in today's marketplace i i can't really blame tristar for going back to the labyrinth well it's also just a very marketable thing like i just saw i don't know if it was a new mondo poster but they're always like pins and things and like the merch sells there's a there's a fan base for this um killers of the flower moon this deal finally went down last night and it was an interesting one i mean it was kind of inevitable apple won this big bidding war beat out Netflix and Universal, MGM, all these places who wanted to step up to, to pay uh, and effectively produce uh, Marty and Leo's next movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, it's, it's like, I don't know why this movie has to cost $185 million minimum. Like, you know, I've heard 185 The reports from over the week, uh, from this week were 180 to $200 million. And that's after a, an Oklahoma tax credit which you've got to think is like 20 or 30 million. So like, are you telling me that this budget has to be 200, potentially 225, $230 million? That's insane. Like the, the Martin Scorsese of your, he would have made this movie for half as much. Like I, that's the thing. It's like, he got a little taste with the Netflix, with the just unlimited check, the deep pockets. And this, that it's like, why should he have to go make a movie? and be fiscally responsible for $100 million when someone somewhere will give him twice as much money to make the same movie. Like, uh, yeah, if you're Scorsese, I I guess I'd take that deal too. I can't blame him. I just think you don't, you don't need all that stuff. Like I'm, I don't know, man. Again, I watch movies for the story, for the performances I'm not like, oh, you know, the production design could have been better. They, you know, why weren't there older cars used in this scene? Or it just, and, and that's what the, that kind of money is going to. I mean, I understand spending a zillion dollars when it's the Irishman, you're trying to de-age these people and it just costs more and more and more because the technology, you know, maybe wasn't quite great. But what is the two fifth, like, what is the $200 million going to on this movie? This is about the FBI coming in to investigate a series of murders like on, on Indian land. Uh, it was, you know, it's about the, the formation of the FBI. It, it's like a Western 
mystery type thing. And even, even with DiCaprio, who granted, you know, maybe the biggest movie star, most reliable movie star in, in the world right now, along with like Tom Cruise or Will, or Will Smith or whoever, I just, uh, it seems like an awful lot of money. It seems like they're just, people are just indulging Marty and Leo. And, and, and what's weird is like, if Apple was doing this to say, all right, we've got an Apple original and it's going to be on our streaming service, like that, then, then maybe that's even worth it. But this is still going to theaters. And yeah, it's going to have the Apple branding on it. It's going to be branded as an Apple original because they're paying for the movie and then the lead creative studio. But at the end of the day, Paramount's the one, you know, putting it out in theaters. Like they, they still managed to retain those theatrical rights. I guess it, it was because Marty always wanted this to go. He wanted it to have a wide, wide theatrical release. I don't know if that is true or if he was disappointed by viewing numbers on the Irishman, um, which I think, you know, was more about its length than its subject matter. I mean, the, the Irishman also didn't really appeal to younger people who are the people on these streaming services. Um, yeah, like, uh, listen, uh, it, it doesn't matter to me. I get invited to press screenings, and, and even if I don't, okay, I got to pony up 15, 17 bucks at the Arclight to go see this movie. So ultimately, I don't care what it costs. You know, like, I don't understand why the average consumer cares what it costs. As a film reporter, someone whose job it is to track this stuff, yeah, to me, that doesn't seem like a great business decision for Apple. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I don't know. Check out my story on, on Collider.com. I had a lot to say about it. This thing has been in the works for a while, though. Again, this... Uh, the ankler sort of hinted months ago that that's Marty wanted this big budget and Paramount was balking at it. And they're just like, you know, we, we are invested in this movie. We want to make this movie with you, but at the same time, we're not going to like bet the farm and, and mortgage the entire studio to, to go make it. Cause you think you need $200 million to do it. So I'm glad that they find a, found a, a financier um, to get this movie made. Cause otherwise Marty and Leo may could have just moved on to something else. They have a zillion projects in development together. Uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting in Variety Story, again, my buddy Kroll dropped a little nugget that Leonardo DiCaprio is circling Adam McKay's Netflix movie, Don't Look Up. I wonder, you know, Marty just worked with Netflix. Leo's never made a movie for a streaming service, I don't believe. Um, so that would be interesting if, if it was Leo and Jennifer Lawrence and Kate Blanchett, no, no less, uh, doing an Adam McKay movie. That would be wild. Uh, and, and they think, you know, maybe Leo could sneak that in before Killers of the Flower Moon. They've been scouting locations on Killers of the Flower Moon forever. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see who the who the supporting cast is going to be on that one and whether uh, Scorsese will call up any of his uh, old Irishman buddies. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. The Safdie brothers signing a, a first look deal with HBO, taking their talents to television. A24 is going to be involved in all these projects and some select projects that the Safties may do outside of HBO. Uh, the Safties already in business with Showtime on that Nathan Fielder pilot, The Curse. Listen, I, I think HBO is the perfect home for the Safties. Uh, these guys make gritty, raw kind of movies. Um, and I, and that to me is sort of what HBO is, is best known for. Like they don't shy away from tough subject matter, whether it's Oz or, or the Sopranos or the wire, like, their aesthetic, their creative sensibility, I think, is a good fit for the Safties, particularly, uh, you know, when they have a A24 sort of looking out for them. Um, A24 produces Euphoria for HBO. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, again, there were no project announcements or anything like that. We don't know what they're, what they're going to be working on, but I'm sure that the Safdies have no shortage of ideas that maybe aren't quite movie ideas, uh, or maybe they're just such big movie ideas that they require a, a 10 hour series. Either way, I, you know, it, it's an arms race right now to, to sign talent, uh, whether it's, you know, Warner Media and HBO Max or Netflix signing deals, Amazon signing deals, Apple signing deals. Everybody's uh, passing out overall deals, oddly enough, in the middle of a pandemic, even though we'd heard that deals may be cut back. So, you know, for, for, for the Safties to get one, I, I think that's that's cool. Like, I, I, I really liked Uncut Gems. I thought Good Time was like half masterpiece and half hit a wall. We don't know what the hell we we're doing in the second half of this movie. But again, I loved the promise that it showed from them. And I think that these guys are going to be around for a long time telling the kinds of stories that I know I want to see. Speaking of stories, I'd like to see Amazon, you know, they're doubling down on this book strategy. They've already got a Jack Ryan series. They're about to, you know, be casting up a, a Jack Reacher series. They just got their hands on Alex Cross earlier in the year. And, and Alex Cross is my boy. You know, I've got, see the Alex Cross books uh, behind me right there. Um, but now that's like, they're just going all in. They, they had this, that one with Chris Pratt. And what was it? Like the Terminalist or something. And then this week. They got their hands on the girl with the dragon tattoo herself, Lizbeth Salander. And there's a report straight out of the mouth of author Michael Connolly that Amazon is, I don't know, potentially rescuing the Lincoln Lawyer series from CBS. CBS was days away from starting the Lincoln Lawyer. Logan Marshall Green was going to play Mickey Haller. Uh, and then CBS got cold feet, essentially. Like the pandemic started, the, the town where they were going to shoot the series in shut down. And CBS was like, listen, we need a show that pe- that viewers can tune in and out of, you know, an and episodic series. Oh, I saw CSI this week. Oh, I wasn't around, uh, you know, th- this week to see it. I'll catch it next week. Lincoln Lawyer was going to be a, a serialized show. So if you miss one episode, you got to see it because otherwise you're lost in the story. And that it just does not, did not make sense for CBS. I understand why they, they let it go. I'm glad that they're letting somebody else uh, pick it up. I don't know if Amazon is going to want to stick with Logan Marshall Green or cast their own Lincoln lawyer. Um, I I can barely remember the movie. I remember liking it. It definitely kickstarted the McConaissance, if I remember, with Matthew McConaughey. And, and just looking at the stills, like I had forgotten Brian Cranston was in that movie and Ryan Phillippe. And, and it was, uh, I, I may go back and revisit that one because I like those kinds of things. Elizabeth Salander, um, you know, that, that's another interesting character to get your hands on. And for her to join all these guys, she's this feminist antihero, a hacker extraordinaire. But the one thing that we haven't really seen, you know, from, from Lizbeth is a female voice behind the camera. And I cannot impress upon Amazon strong enough that they, this, this needs to have a female voice. Because it's like they took the essence of this character and totally twisted it into this male fantasy. Let's give her piercings and, you know, leather, black leather. And it was like this, it was all like sort of in an effort to court that male audience. And uh, I mean, I I understand wanting to play to to both genders. And certainly there's overlap in what guys like, what what women like. But um, yeah, I think that Elizabeth really needs some, some type of female creator a showrunner, a writer, whatever it is to, to conceive, to, they need to reconceive of her because you can't just put out, 
you know, the super gloomy Rooney Mara, let me ruin your Christmas version. The Claire Voy, Foy version in, from the Girl in the Spider's Web was a total bust. I mean, that was supposed to launch a franchise for Sony. It made like 20 or $30 million. Nobody went to go see that movie. I saw it. It was terrible. Um, I mean, I, I think Numi Rapace is still, you know, the, the best one. And I really liked what that what the Swedish movies did, even though you know they they weren't perfect either. If you could marry that sort of take on the character with with Fincher esque direction, like I'm looking for something dark, uh, particularly out of Amazon. But what's interesting was just like the larger overall strategy uh, strategy that Jennifer Salke is cultivating over there. I mean, these are the books that sell. Like I don't even think about oh, what is this Alex Cross book about? Or what is this Lincoln Rhyme book? I know NBC has Lincoln Rhyme. Uh, but it's, I don't think about what the books are about. I just buy them. Like, I, I, I read every book in the series. I've never, I think, I, the only other James Patterson book I've read, in fact, was that Aaron Hernandez All-American book that he read. But I, I don't read any, James, any other James Patterson, even though he may very well be my favorite author, because I stick to that series. And if I started reading every other James Patterson book, I'd never put books down. So I, I like looking forward to that new Alex Cross book each year. Uh, and, and the point, you know, of getting all these characters together is, yeah, think of everyone who buys a Jack Ryan book or a Jack Reacher book. Of course they're going to want to watch the new series. And, and so to have all these, you know, literary, this literary audience tuning in, you know, it could be, you could have them year round if you program these shows, you know, the, the release dates uh, effectively. I think it's a really smart strategy. It's tough enough to get IP. It's not like Amazon can just click and get a whole bunch of like superhero shows. So, you know, this is another type of universe, not that it's going to be interconnected or anything, but you know, I, I just think, I think it's very smart. I think it's very smart on Amazon's part. Um, they need, they need more shows though during this quarantine. Like Netflix is putting something out each week and Amazon is putting stuff, something out like every six weeks, like, Amazon, get on the stick, bro. Speaking of streaming services, HBO Max launched this week. I don't know how many of you have downloaded yet. I have not. I, it was supposed to switch my HBO Now app to, or, you know, maybe that was on the other Apple TV thing. Uh, if you have HBO Now, it is supposedly now HBO Max, although you still got to sign up. I've heard all kinds of, of horror stories just in the last 36 hours or whatever. People getting locked out of accounts, uh, you know, asking for password resets and the emails never arrive. There were some pleasant surprises, I think, on on the service. Um, you know, the Harry Potter thing, obviously, w- that made a lot of headlines. I think that that was all on you know, the Warner Media new CEO, Jason Pilar, from, from, who came over from Hulu. I think he got that deal done at the very last minute. Uh, and for Harry Potter fans, not me, obviously, but for Harry Potter fans, it was a very exciting thing to have all those movies, you know, uh, on, on one streaming service in, in one helpful category. And I've heard there's a ton of stuff on there. Like I can't wait to go and play with it all, but I'm going to wait a couple of weeks to do that. Cause I don't want to, you know, sign up and, and be disappointed and, ha- and, and, you know, wonder what the hell is up with this interface. Like let's give them a couple of weeks to work out the kinks. Listen, it took Netflix years to get to where it is. It, it took Netflix uh, or Amazon and, and Apple even time to get to where they are. Not everyone, uh, you had to rush. 
Warner Media they could not uh, afford to waste any more time. So there 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 may be a few hiccups in the launch, um, which is why I want to give them a couple of weeks just to figure things out. Was there anything else notable about HBO Max? Like, I, I'm disappointed that you know there are no original movies. Like, you got to have something for movie fans. I know you have all these library titles, but. It's, it's not enough. Where is the Melissa McCarthy movie, Super Intelligence? Where is the Steven Soderbergh movie, Let Them All Talk? Are you waiting for people to download HBO Max and, and actually, you know, get used to it, uh, get used to using it, opening it each night, looking around before you put that stuff out there? I don't know. I don't know what, like, Super Intelligence was supposed to come out in theaters last December, so, so it's done. It's not that it's not done. I mean, even if the movie's not that great, and maybe you want to lead with your best foot forward or something like that, but you got to give me a reason to subscribe, and it's not enough to say, well, we've got all the Harry Potter movies. If I was a normal human being, I would have already seen all the Harry Potter movies. Uh, I got to take a look at the classic stuff in there, because if there's a lot of like old Warner Brothers gangster type things, then you know, maybe that's the perfect uh, streaming service for Dad. Maybe he'd love it. Um, Doug Lyman. Revealed as the director on Tom Cruise's <laughs> space movie with NASA and, and Elon Musk, who uh, ran into his own problems with the SpaceX launch this week. Doug Lyman, you know, did Edge of, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat or whatever with, with, with Tom Cruise. They've got uh, a little bit of a shorthand. I mean, Tom, Tom works with a small circle of, of people and the same people over and over Spielberg, Christopher McQuarrie being two of them. Uh, Doug Lyman is also on, on the, in the inner circle of, of TC as they, as they call him. Um, listen, I mean, Doug Lyman's been at the helm of chaos walking for like the last two or three years, which sounds like it could be like the worst movie ever made. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is going on with chaos walking. If we'll ever even get a chance to see it. Never made sense to me as a movie to begin with. Just writing up the log line. I was like, what is this? How are they going to do this? Um, but I like Doug Lyman personally. Uh, I spent a, I spent, did I spend any time with him? I think I did spend a little bit of time with him for, uh, for some 3d mobile thing. I don't know what the hell it was. I, I never got a chance to write about it. I think I lost that job before, before I could file. Um, is, is this actually going to happen? I have no idea. I don't know. How do you, is it just Doug Lyman and Tom Cruise floating around up there? Are there other actors? Like just imagine the amount of training that you'd have to do to prepare yourself to effectively be an astronaut. I, you know, I have no question that Tom Cruise could do it. Don't get me wrong. But is Doug Lyman going to be directing things from like, you know, a command center in Houston or Florida? Is he going to be directing the movie from Cape Canaveral? Like how does this work? Are there co-stars up there with Tom Cruise? Like, if you know, if Tom Cruise has a family up there, are there kids? I have no. It's... Listen, there's a lot of exciting announcements made in our line of work. They don't always come to fruition. Maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now, we'll see an 80 year old Tom Cruise uh, floating around up there. I just we're we're still focused on trying to get production resuming like on the ground. So, doing a whole movie in space seems like we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. It'll watch. It'll be like uh, Jacob Tremblay starring in this movie in like 40 years. Oh, God. Some quick hits. Avatar 2 is, is going to resume filming in, in New Zealand. Uh, sounds like they've figured out a way to, to you know, do things 
safe again. Charlie Hunt, I'm working with Max Winkler on this project Denali. It's about a, a dog, a guy who gets cancer and the dog stays by his side throughout the recovery. And then the dog gets cancer and he stays by the dog's side. Sounds very emotional. We'll see if Charlie uh, Hunnam is up to, to that kind of a task. I am looking forward to his boxing movie that he did with Max Winkler and Jack O'Connell called Jungle Land. I don't know when we're going to ch- get a chance to see that, hopefully this fall. Amazon acquired Blumhouse's Run, Sweetheart Run. I hated this movie at, at Sundance. I, I stayed up till midnight. Uh, I think I was like one of the only press people there. It was something, let me tell you. Uh, I don't want to ruin any of the surprises. You can, if you want to be spoiled, read my review on Collider. Uh, but I don't think this is going to move the needle for Amazon one bit. This is just going to be another box that people sort of uh, glaze over. And if they do, if they are unfortunate enough to click on it, uh, I, you know, I told you so. Always Sunny in Philadelphia, renewed for season 15 on FX, X, XXX. Uh, I love this show. I've been watching since day one. Keep, keep them coming back. Like, I, I will watch the gang until they are senior citizens. Um, they actually have broken the record with this renewal for the live-action comedy series Passing the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. Wouldn't blame you if you've never heard of that show. It's, it's something I'd only heard about uh, my, my parents and grandparents talk about. Congratulations to this team behind Always Sunny. Who, who would have thought, you know, these guys who, who made this, like, pilot presentation on, I don't even, like, you know, on a digital camera and sent it to FX, and it just came out of nowhere, and now they have the longest-running comedy series in, in history. That's it's, it's super impressive. And even though, you know, some seasons, some recent seasons haven't been as good as some of the early ones, like, I, I still love these guys together, uh, you know, with the veto and everything. It's great. And if you haven't seen Rob McElhaney's new series, Mythic Quest, they did a great quarantine special. It's over on Apple. If you, if you subscribe to Apple TV plus it had, you know, like the Dave finale, like I was just sort of like the last three minutes of this quarantine special. I just watched with a huge smile on my face. It made me so happy. I was cheering for everybody you know, the, the show is okay. It's it's not a great show. It's a show worth worthy of, of four or five hours, uh, you know, of your time each year. So, you know, if you haven't checked out Apple or you're not, you haven't been like, oh, you're like, oh, morning show defending Jacob. These shows are a little too heavy for me. First of all, watch Little America. Second of all, Mythic Quest. Give it a shot. Um, I just wrote up a story about Aquafina and Karen Gillan signing on to do this action comedy called Shelly. The two of them just worked together on Jumanji, the next level. Now they're going to be reteaming uh, with, with Transformers producer Ian Bryce. This, this is a movie that's described as me and girls meets Barry, which signed me up. Basically Aquafina was this girl in high school. She was horribly bullied that, you know, uh, Karen Gillan played a terrible prom prank on her and it sent Aquafina off on this, uh, you know, journey to effect, essentially become a hit woman. She is just an assassin with ice in her veins. She is ready to kill. That's, that's how deep this incident scarred her. And so she's delighted when her new assignment is to kill her high school bully, Karen Gillan. However, they strike up this sort of friendship as, you know, Aquafina tries to get close to her to knock her off. And Karen Gillan brings her into the, the cool crowd that Aquafina had always wanted to sort of, uh, you know, hang out with in school. And rather than kill her, she ends up protecting her from a rival crew of, of assassins who show up to take them both out. That sounds like a really fun premise. 
Uh, I like I like both of these actresses, but again, it comes down to the logline, the story as always, and, and this sounds like a lot of fun. So whether it winds up being a theatrical release or just something, you know, for Netflix, because it, it sounds like it could be that kind of movie too. Uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, excited to, to see these two work together and, and uh, a veteran TV helmer like Jude Wang, who I think made one other movie or it's coming out soon for, for Jude to get a shot. <sighs> what else? Did you guys watch the Dylan O'Brien social network thing? I thought that was actually really good. That was fun. I think I would do great at, at some of these. If, I, if only I could uh, memorize lines and not really have to, you know, read them off, off the screen. Me and Roka would do a killer, a killer uh, heat diner scene. I don't know if I'd be De Niro or Pacino, though. We could, we could always do it twice. If you're watching this and, you, and, you, and you're a fan of John Roca, tweet at him and then, uh, you know, get, get him and I to, to do something like that. Uh, but anyways, where the hell was I? Yeah, Dylan O'Brien took over the role of Andrew Garfield in, in Social Network uh, with, with the actress of Parenthood. And he did a really good job. I've never seen Dylan O'Brien really act as well as I thought he pulled that scene off. And maybe it's just because he was working with Aaron Sorkin's script, but Hey, props to Dylan O'Brien. The, you know, the tough thing about being an actor is you only get a chance to, to show it. You know, you may have a ton of talent, but it all depends on what projects you get hired in, what those scripts are, what your lines and scenes are, who your scene partners are, what the direction is, which takes the editor decides to use. And so that all of that shapes a performance and maybe Dylan O'Brien's gotten the shit end of the stick or something. He hasn't, you know, really impressed me in anything. I, I guess outside of maybe Deepwater Horizon, he was good. That, that, that's a small supporting uh, role. So just, but just to see that flash of potential in these two or three minutes where he, he's doing Andrew Garfield, like, yeah, I, I could see it. I, I could see how he might've taken it on. He's not as good as Andrew Garfield. We'll, we'll be serious. Uh, you know, I'm not going to give him that, but it, it, it was cool. It was impressive. Um, I want to give a shout out to Uproxx, which had a great piece uh, with the, the original writer of Yesterday, the Danny Boyle movie. I didn't even see Yesterday. It looked like, like tripe to me. Like I had absolutely no interest. But this guy basically talked about how he, he wrote this, like it's, it was all about the idea. You know, it's all about that idea. Guy wakes up and, you know, after an accident and no one remembers the Beatles except for him. That, that is a, a fun premise, even though it makes no sense to me. Uh, and he basically talked about how Richard Curtis, like, straight jacked the premise and took credit for it and how he got cut out of, like, the whole movie and, and the accolades and, and, the, and the finances. Like, he, you know, he got a, a little money, a, a decent fair sum for selling the, the story idea in the first place or the script, whatever it was. But, you know, the, the movie performed very well. And it's just, it's due to Hollywood accounting, it shows that it's a long way from, from, from turning a profit. I just felt really bad for this. He's an older writer. You know, you only get so many breaks like this in life. And, and Uproxx just did a very thoughtful interview with him. So Vince, Man, Vince Mancini, uh, congrats on that one. I hope uh, my listeners will go over and check that one out. A um, few other things before we get to mailbag questions. Uh, Last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright's new movie has been delayed to next April. Again, makes sense given the uncertainty uh, surrounding the, the whole theatrical situation right now and the fact that they haven't started marketing yet. We haven't seen a trailer. No one knows to even expect this outside of, uh, you know, hardcore industry folks. Um, 
someone, some insane person, and God bless them, put together a timeline for the MCU by scene. Can you imagine the time it took to do that, having to watch all 22 or 3, I don't even know how many movies there are at this point. Uh, They had to watch all these Marvel movies, take copious notes. You know, when did this happen? Did this come before this one? It really is an impressive feat uh, of complete insanity and lunacy, but congratulations nonetheless. Um, Simon Kinberg, I saw his quotes this week on the Dark Phoenix movie and how he was ultimately, like, he was bummed because originally it was supposed to be two movies, so was Justice League. Uh, and then he had to cram it all into one movie, which it seems like if you had two movies worth of material, and then you had to cram it all into one movie, that that one movie would be awesome. Instead, it was just, you know, it, listen, it wasn't even the worst comic book movie I saw last year, but it was, you know, super busy and just all kind of over the place. It did not, it was not a fitting ending to that X-Men cast. And yet, Simon Kinberg says he was happy with the cut that hit theaters, which makes me really worried for a movie like 355, which is his next directorial effort. I'm like, man, if you just just own up to this shit, just be like, listen, Dark Phoenix did not come out the way that I envisioned it. And I'm sorry that I let the fans down. And hopefully the next time uh, you see the X-Men, you know, Kevin Feige will, will do right by them. But like, you can't just be like, I'm happy with the cut. The cut is not good. And so if you're happy with it and those and these are your standards, I don't know why anybody would ever hire you ever again. Okay, why is Hollywood, why does Hollywood hire these people who seem perfectly comfortable turning in mediocre movies? It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, no, no festivals this year for Netflix. They're totally skipping the festival route. Who can blame them? journalists don't want to go to festivals. I mean, we do, but we want to go safely. And and I haven't been assured of anything like that uh, unless it's in New Zealand, which seems to be the only place in the world where this virus has has stopped spreading. Um, Not to, but more importantly than will Jeff Snyder attend your festival? Like who gives a shit? It's talent. Talent. Like I said, they're going to be dropping out of jobs. They're not going to be promoting movies outside of, you know, Zoom junkets. They're not going to festivals. They're not going anywhere because it's a fucking pandemic, okay? And these people have too much to lose. Too much to lose. So if, if you're Netflix and you can't get talent to the festivals, why even bother bringing the movie to the festival? Particularly this year with streaming, you know, being eligible for the Oscars. like. Just drop the movie on Netflix and then submit the 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 movie to the to the Academy and uh, you know you, Netflix is going to probably dominate this year's Oscar nominations if there are an Oscar Oscar nominations this year. I just don't know like what the studios are planning to do with all these fall releases and whether they're actually going to put some of these movies that are intended for theatrical release. I'm talking about the good ones that they were planning to make money on, not just like you know forget it i'm not even gonna go there um but yeah do do, do they put aaron sorkin's trial of the chicago seven on a streaming service just to make an eligible for awards this year like i i don't know i don't really know if anybody knows at this point uh there was a report that mr sinister was going to be the the villain in the gambit movie with channing tatum that never happened i read this on the playlist first and the playlist was like well if they were going to use mr sinister in gambit maybe it was totally false that uh mr sinister was supposed to appear at the end of new mutants first of all i'm the guy who reported all that and it was not false at all mr sinister was absolutely uh you know going to be john john ham at one point cranston was mentioned and antonio banderas as well so you know for for someone to just speculate wildly well if simon kinberg says they were talking about him for 
Gambit and, and Snyder's reporting must be bullshit. Like, who do you think is incentivized to even tell you the truth? Do you think I have a reason to lie? And I'm not saying that Simon Kinberg is lying. I'm just saying maybe saying like maybe I don't even know if he's involved in the new mutants or not, but like this was the plan. This was the plan, bro. I'm sorry. Don't know what to tell you. Don't know why anyone is saying that it wasn't. Uh, the Golden Globes changed its its uh, eligibility rule regarding actors, uh, all about the Mandalorian. So I guess Pedro Pascal, you know, he would have been el- eligible. I don't know even know if he was submitted last year for a Golden Globe or whatever. But because he took his mask off in the final episode, he would have been eligible. But if you're if you're just leaving the mask on, and it could be any stunt person under under the mask, then then whoever that is doing the voice. Like they're they're not going to be eligible for anything, really. Nor should they be. I don't. I don't really. I, I mean, not that they would even f- find a way into a nomination. I mean, shit. If we didn't nominate Scarlett Johansson for her voice performance and her, I don't see how we're nominating fucking Mando. But whatever. Um, let's get to some stuff that I like watched and enjoyed this week. Uh, really like the the trailer for *De Five Bloods*. Spike Lee Vietnam movie. I think that looks like a lot of fun. That comes out in uh, in two weeks. It looks like, you know, it could be a little heavy. Um, but I really like the older cast that he's assembled here. Chadwick Boseman's going to appear in flashbacks. Uh, yeah, Spike Lee. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Uh, I watched the first part of Lance, the ESPN documentary. It's not a docu-series. It's a two-part film, I suppose. I had a nice little back and forth with uh, IndieWire's Tom Brugeman. I, 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 forgive me if I'm uh, mispronouncing that. But, you know, I sort of asked him, like, I saw the O.J. Simpson docu-series, which was seven and a half hours long or whatever. That, to me, was a movie. And maybe it was because it screened at Sundance with an intermission that it felt like a movie. You know, if I, if I took – it's hard to take that away and, 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 and make the same judgment. Um, but like the Michael Jordan one, which was 10 hours long, I saw as a series. I was like, this is not a movie. This is a TV series. Um, so Lance, even though it feels like a movie to me, it's going to be three and a half hours, potentially movie length, still feels like it should, it should not be eligible for an Oscar because it was never intended for the theatrical release. It's a, it's a TV movie. You know, it should be up for Emmys. But it was really good. I, I, you know, I'm not someone who really cared about or followed the, the Lance Armstrong stuff too closely. I, I, last time I was on a bike, I fell off of it and cut my hands up pretty good. So it's not like I'm an avid cyclist. But, you know, I guess I've just seen so much Lance Armstrong type stuff over the years. Um, to, to actually have him talking about this stuff on the record, on camera, I think it totally distinguishes it, differentiates it from all those other programs. And I would definitely recommend it. Like it is in the same vein of, of the last dance. It's obviously less celebratory. Um, but I thought Marina Zanovich did a really good job. She's one of our best documentary filmmakers. So I, I will be there on Sunday night to tune in for, for part two. And I hope you, you guys go back and, and check it out. I watched the trip to Greece this week. You know, it, it, it was different, I think, than the other trip movies. I don't think it was my favorite, but it definitely moved me in a way that the others did not. If you haven't watched the trip movies, they're an absolute blast. And, and particularly right now when we're all shuttered, uh, sheltered in place and, and stuck in our homes, it, it felt like taking a, a vacation to Greece. And so while I've seen these guys do impressions back and forth, 
you know, for three movies now. And, and it, it did feel a little, I don't want to say stale, but a little familiar. By the end of the film, like the last 15, 20 minutes, there's this added emotional element this, uh, and an and extra gravitas that you know, maybe the other trip movies didn't, I don't want to say that they didn't have them. They just didn't emphasize it. I think that the comedy was more emphasized. And in this one, it's not the tragedy is emphasized, but you know, stuff happens, you know, every trip is a vacation, but vacation is only vacation if it ends at some point, because otherwise it's just your life. And yeah, every trip ends, every vacation ends, and we go back to the real world and deal with our real problems and stuff like that. And this was sort of a sobering reminder that each of us have, you know, those issues that we deal with as, as I'm certainly uh, going through right now. This, this is not a vacation back in Boston for me. I thought it was going to be, but uh, circumstances have, have changed. I watched The Lovebirds this week. Um, you know, thought it was okay. Pretty pretty unmemorable. Uh, definitely a little forgettable. I liked Kumail and, and, and Issa together. I thought they had decent comic chemistry. I don't know if there was much romantic chemistry there. But yeah, it just sort of, you know, went through the motions. And uh, it was a Netflix movie. That's basically what I'm trying to say. It was another two and a half stars. Okay, this was worth 80 minutes of my life. Uh, I'm glad I, I checked it out, but I think I'm going to be going back to that one ever. Uh, so I had higher hopes for that one. I thought it was a, a really, it was a, it was a promising script or just like a premise. Like, you know, this couple uh, sees this murder mystery. They were like just about to break up and now, they're, they're running for their lives together. That was fun. I just, you know, the execution wasn't quite there. And I really like Michael Showalter as a director. Um, this may have just been a little bit outside of his, his, his grasp. Um, speaking of things outside of people's grasps, but like way, way, way worse. Space Force. The embargo has lifted. I can finally tell you guys that this show was atrocious. I only watched two episodes. I watched the first episode and, you know, granted most first episodes of shows are bad, although this was ordered straight to series. So it's not like there was like a pilot and then they shot the rest of the show a year later, like a lot of shows. All this was shot together. It was bad. Who would want to see Steve Carell play this kind of character? Like he's just, he's like this gruff asshole, essentially. And if I think we all were tuning in to sort of see him play Michael Scott again. And, okay, Michael Scott, world's, like, you know, goofiest boss, is now in charge of the world's goofiest defense arm, the Space Force. Like, that would have been funny, but it just takes it way too seriously. It becomes, like, this Doctor Strangelove type of vibe. I'm not a real Doctor Strangelove fan. Shoot me. Uh, it's It's tough. It's tough doing that kind of satire, and this is just... Oh God, this is, does not work at all. It is brutally unfunny. It wastes a, a very talented supporting cast. Like this cast is stacked. I couldn't believe all the actors that I saw. I was like, oh my God, I love this guy. I love this guy. This is all in service of a nothing show. I don't, I'm not going to go watch the rest of it. I, I feel qualified to talk on it after seeing the first episode and then whatever other episode I clicked on. Whatever the other shortest one was probably. If only we had more shows like Lost, which celebrated its uh, an anniversary. It was, it was some kind of anniversary this year. Probably, what do you think, 20 years maybe? Probably 20 years, 15, 20 years. Whatever it was, 
I love you, Lost. I miss you. Maybe you didn't end great, but man, I, every every Wednesday night, I want to say it was, yeah, I was tuning in with my bag of checks mix and I was excited. So I don't know that we'll ever see another show like Lost again. I, I would love, yeah, I, I, it's like I don't know if I would love a reunion or some kind of revival. It really was a, a special show with a special cast and, and that music and just everything about it. Yeah, it would be tough to, to bring that one back. But I, I, I did enjoy uh, some of the pieces that I read this week. Uh, I did see the finale of I'll Cry. I can't talk about it because uh, I am under embargo. But the first couple episodes of the show, I wasn't under embargo. I think I told you then that it, that it was excellent. Uh, I, I stand by that. And I hope that you just, again, can't really say too much about it. And I, and I do want to review it for the site. But put Outcry on your watch list on your calendar sign up for showtime in july because uh it's definitely worth a look no it's not worth a look david ayers cut a suicide squad i don't want enough of this i talked about it last week on the snyder cut thing that's a special case because Zack snyder and what happened to him with his daughter and you know hbo max you know giving it a platform there's a platform for this now and there's just a whole bunch of reasons why I'm not going to begrudge the Snyder cut. Like it had a very passionate thing, but when people start talking about David Ayer's cut of suicide squad and Josh Trank's cut of fantastic four, like, no, you make a movie. That's the movie. These, these are the decisions that were made. I don't need, uh, you're not Rid- Neither of you are Ridley Scott. Okay. Like who's tinkering infuriates me anyways. Like a movie, you release a movie. That's the definitive version of the movie. To me, I, I mean, J- when James Patterson releases a book, he doesn't get to like put the book back out two years later with a with, you know, I redid this, this, and this, like based on reader feedback. That's just not how art works, and I hate that fans want it to work like that. Like that, you know, stand by what you make, stand by what, what you release. I don't want to see all these alternate cuts of things because you're just messing with history. I mean. I understand that when, you know, with like a book like Zodiac where new information comes to light, so they reissue the book with an added, you know, uh, 100 pages, you know, like uh, six new chapters. But when you start going back in and re-editing everything and uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. And Suicide Squad was probably even worse than freaking Justice League, like, it was a nightmare. So was Fantastic Four, for that matter. I, I, I want nothing. I'm, I would not be interested in seeing any alternative cuts. And if I were those directors, just move on. If you're David Ayer, move on, bro. Well, let let it go. Tenant Watch. No changes this week in Tenant Watch. The movie is still slated for July 17th in theaters as of now. Even though the last trailer, as we said, didn't have a release date on it. I think a change is inevitable, but as of right now, Warner Brothers is sticking to its guns. Um, what I loved this week was all the actors coming out saying they had absolutely no idea what the movie's about. Didn't understand the plot. Didn't think Christopher Nolan himself understood the plot. And I love that when none of us eventually end up understanding the plot, Christopher Nolan's going to be like, well, it's all there, mate. And, you know, it's on you to find the answers. And, like, holy shit. Oh, man. Listen, I think it looks cool. I think it looks cool, but he has sort of been stuck making the same mindfuck movie 
for years now. And I would just love to see Christopher Nolan doing something a little bit more straightforward. I know his whole thing is playing with time and challenging the audience, but like, man, just tell me a fucking story. Just tell me a good story. It's the only reason I go to the movies. Tell me a good story. Um, I think that will do it for the news portion of the show. Let me just real quick. I will, I will say I watched the, the, uh, drug documentary, have a good trip on Netflix, which was fun. You know, some fun celebrities telling, uh, interesting stories. What was weird was like, Jerry Stiller's not in the movie, but there's an animated version of Jerry Stiller. Fred Willard is in there. Mark Maron's in there. I know he, he's still alive, but he lost Lynn Shelton. Uh, and, and so it was just weird to see all those people together. And actually that brings me to the last thing I, I, I want to say before I get to the, the mailbag questions. Um, I totally forgot last week to do all the RIPs. So Lynn Shelton, horrible, uh, horrible what happened to her. I, I mean, so young, so talented. Nobody had a bad word to say about her. RIP Lynn Shelton, uh, Fred Willard, you know, brought, brought so many laughs over the years um, Jerry Stiller was the one that hit me the hardest as someone who, who watched King of Queens and especially Seinfeld. I still watch Seinfeld almost every night. I, I, I love Jerry Stiller. I, we watched, uh, Zoolander. I watched Zoolander just the other week for his Maury Ballstein. Um, he, he was just great. He sounded like a, a, a great dad. And again, check, I, I think I did say this on the podcast last week, but if you, if you haven't, check out the, the Friars Club roast of Jerry Stiller. Uh, I thought it was very funny. And then the last RIP was this week's Larry Kramer, the playwright and AIDS activist who, who wrote uh, The Normal Heart, which was turned into the movie by uh, Ryan Murphy on HBO. I loved that movie. I, I really had a lot of respect and admiration for a guy like Larry Kramer, more than you know this audience will ever know. And um yeah, it's it's just sad to, to to be losing all all these people. It doesn't getting older is isn't easier, guys. It's not easy. Um, all right, mailbag questions very quickly. Five or ten minutes of it. Let's see. Ricky Davila, if you ran Hollywood, what are, what three courses of action would you take immediately for the future of the system? That's a big question. I don't think I can answer that right now. Uh, and by the way, I didn't. I don't like pick questions and, and only do the ones I respond to. I'm just reading everything we got, you know, train, train of uh, consciousness here. What three actions would I take for the future of the system? Yeah, I just, I think it's not a good time right now to, to I'm trying to, I'm trying to live in the present and take things one day at a time. So even though, you know, we always have to be mindful of our futures, I think Hollywood needs to get through this moment first before it turns its attention to what it can do better in the future and, and all that HBO max launching with no 4k. Is it disappointing? I don't, again, I watch for stories. I don't care about the quality of an image. You could show me a grainy VHS copy of tenant and I would be just fine as long as I could see the picture and, and make out the story. Uh, they need a criterion collection tab. I don't even know if they have a deal with Criterion. They they did put Armageddon in the classic section, I understand, and that is a Criterion one. So, uh, you know, maybe classics is their Criterion collection. But, yeah, like in order to use that name, they'd have to cut a deal, and I don't know if I think Criterion already has a deal with somebody. What do I think of the user interface? I haven't downloaded HBO Max. So I have absolutely no idea. Reynaldo Dominguez, will you grow a mustache before reporting on reshoots for the Snyder Cut? I should. I should shave. All, I should just totally reinvent my whole look here and just go with a mustache. Um, 
Matt Croft with the success of Trolls World Tour and Scoob. I don't is Scoob successful? I have no idea. Have those numbers come out? Do you think we will be seeing a lot more VOD releases this year, especially with the Academy changing its rules for consideration? Yes. I think obviously a ton of stuff is going to VOD because you know they kept just delaying the movies. Like, all right, we're going to put this out in August instead of you know June, and they just keep buying themselves a few months with these announcements. But at some point. They're going to have to release these movies on VOD. And again, it's not going to be the big expensive movies because financially it makes no sense. But, you know, a a movie where it it could financially work out, like A Trial of the Chicago 7, like if you're not putting that on VOD, then you're releasing it into, what, half-empty theaters potentially? Like, or, or it just comes out in theaters and, and, and theaters are totally back up to normal, but there's so much, so many movies. It's like five or six months worth of movies that are flooding the market. They all coming out on top of each other. No one's trying to sit in the movie theater all day, catching these things back to back. So there's either going to be a crush of releases or no releases at all. And they head to VOD. Will Dr- drag uh, more likely to be released first, the Snyder cut or new mutants. I mean, it seems like new mutants. Yeah. I don't think I think that that will come out this year, hell or high water. Um, depending on the success, the success of the Snyder Cut, could we see an HBO exclusive Zack Snyder's Justice League Part Two? If so, what quantifies and qualifies? No, uh, I don't think so. That seems like they'll just take the money and and finish his. Justice League. I don't think we're going to set a part two of Justice League. I got any news uh, or heard anything about the new Hunger Games movie? No. Uh, I heard you're the one who first broke the Mahershala Ali news way back. Have I heard any rumors about possible fourth season for True Detective? No. Is it true that DiCaprio is up to star in a movie with Lawrence and Blanchett? According to my buddy Justin Kroll, it is. I believe him. If you could see any unreleased 2020 film right now, what would it be? Anything from blockbusters to late year festival dramas? That's a tough one. Um, I have to say, I really was psyched for Spiral, the, the Chris Rock Saw movie. That or Halloween Kills, giving my, my horror-loving heart, I think it would have to be one of those movies. But I, I don't have the release date calendar in front of me, so I couldn't say definitively. I may have to get back to you that on that, Katie J. Warren. Louie, what are your thoughts on The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and its new direction? Personally, want to see a sequel to Fincher's version. I'll tell you right now, Louie, Fincher's version... I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying it's the worst movie Fincher has ever made. Uh, and so I am not interested in seeing a sequel, particularly one without David Fincher at the helm. Michael Sandoval. Hey, Jeff, can you talk about The Asylum? Not about the movies, of course, but I look at their films like Atlantic Rim, Transmorphers, and Fast and Furious Death Race. I'm trying to better understand their business model. Are they banging on people not knowing the difference between the movies they're clearly copying from? Or do these movies actually make a profit considering the small budget? And how do they avoid legal battles with larger production studios? I've never watched any of those movies. Life is too short to be watching uh, knockoffs of, of real movies. Um, like my dad is, is always like the, the type of like, why don't you, you know, if it's so easy to just go write a movie like uh, Atlantic Rim, why don't you just go do it? You know, and, and then you can make money and, and brand yourself as a writer. I'm like, I, I, that, that to me is just trash. I wouldn't want my name associated with that stuff. Even if I never, ever write any kind of movie, um, I, I really am not familiar with, with the business model of the asylum. And, and even though I, I think it's a very thoughtful question, Michael, I don't really know why you're concerned with it either. Like, 
they're really just a bunch of hacks ripping off more talented people. So, you know, if they can make a, a living off of it, God bless them, but I don't need to pay attention or, or spend any time on the podcast discussing it. HBO Max launched no 4K. We've talked about that. Any news on David Fincher's Mank release? No, it sounds like it's going to be, yeah, later this fall, and it's not going – I mean, I don't, again, I don't know what the deal is with theaters, but it seems like Netflix is content with just putting it out on the service. David, where did I get the boomerang? Who's on the Wheaties box covers? The boomerang was a gift from my aunt when I was a little kid. I have, I've never thrown a boomerang. It's never come back to me. I don't think the boomerangs actually work. Wheaties box covers are uh, Michael Jordan and then the Celtics red hour back. Um, yeah, old, old cereal boxes. My dad uh, got my, my brothers and I a whole bunch of them when we were kids. It sat on that shelf for 15 years, man. It hasn't, hasn't moved. Man, I wish you guys could see the VHS collection that I'm sitting next to. My dad brought down all the old VHS t- tapes from the attic. And even though we don't have a player to watch them, it really is amazing to see what movies I was watching, what movies I was grading, and what movies I would stick together on one tape to sort of come up with some kind of uh, thematic, some, some theme that united them. Um, I think that'll do it for the Snyder Cut. I'm, 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 I'm out of time. It's been uh, about an hour now, so... Guys, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for all the mailbag questions. I'm going to try to dig up a, a scoop or something for next week. Again, I've just had a lot on my mind. It has been very trying. You can see the bags under my eyes. Uh, thanks for, for bookmarking my byline on Collider. You know, you can always find uh, interesting stuff. And, and just by looking at what I want to cover, you know, see where my interests lie in any given week. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Cameo. I know I've got a Cameo waiting for me. Someone ordered one. Thank you very much. I can't wait to, get to, to film it for you. You can follow me on all those platforms at, uh, at The Insider. And until next time, have a very safe, healthy weekend. I'll see you again next Thursday on the Collider Video YouTube channel. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.